Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. It's about selecting the right model that applies to your data and then fine-tune it so that it gives you better output. So I think this is the concept where it scares people when they think about models, right? That they have to build it. But I think most of them know, but it's, it's again, I want to underline the fact that you don't have to build models. Models are already there. It's all about you taking the data, training the model, and getting the output. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. Now, you've just heard a short snippet from this week's guest mentor, Ashok Mantana. And the great thing about bringing Ashok on the show is that whilst he's not an accountant per se, his work as a product manager and systems integrator with organizations like Google, Gap, and Ingersoll Rand has allowed Ashok to develop a very strong financial professional background from his stints at Gap, Google, and Ingersoll Rand, as well as developing expertise in data analysis, business analysis, financial systems, and more lately, machine learning. And the reason why we brought Ashok on the show was to help us in finance deconstruct on where machine learning can help us, why in perhaps startup companies can adopt this technology faster versus more mature finance teams uh, being a bit more reluctant to invest in it. Also, because we like to know what's happening when we look forward, Ashok shares with us ways machine learning can actually make our forecasting easier. And we go into a deep discussion around an appropriate rate of accuracy and why it's not necessary to be 100% accurate all the time. And just to get a, a good start in finance with machine learning, Ashok goes through some various models as well we can use. Now, if you'd like to know more about Ashok, other key quotes and key points from the episode, you can check out the detailed timestamp show notes on our website, sitnshow.com. And we always really appreciate when you recommend the show to friends and colleagues. You can subscribe on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. And thanks again for investing your time listening in today. So that's enough for me. So without further ado, over to Ashok and the show. Ashok, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Hey, look, it's really exciting to have you. I think you're the first guest we've brought on to actually help us understand how we can get started with machine learning. In fact, it was actually an article around that started our conversation together. So perhaps, Ashok, before we jump into that, would you mind maybe taking us on a brief journey of your career story so far? Sure. So I'm Ashok Mantena. I've been working in financial systems for a while. I worked in consolidation system, the EPM, and also the general ledger part of it, the ERP part of it. So my expertise has always been in the financial systems, and I worked with a lot of finance and accounting users. That's when I started getting curious about their business process and how they work. I see a lot of manual process in it, but in the last 10 years, things have changed a lot. A lot of automation has been done, and I'm thinking there's a next wave of automation, but this time it's going to be artificial intelligence and uh, and that's really what I'd love to get into. But before we do, I mean, as we're talking now, uh, as our afternoon here, it's very early. We are you're based out of the Bay Area. Are you sort of seeing that there's perhaps certain geographical regions 
worldwide where we're a bit more advanced than others or are we all sort of running along at the same pace? I think in my experience, it's newer companies usually adapt to the new technologies faster. Uh, let's say companies that, are, that have been started in last 10, 15 years will be, they have a good growth path and they can adapt to the technology much faster in all their business processes than a company which has been there for a while, right? So uh, it's not more about geographical, but more about when the company started. If the company started after 2000, I think they will be much more adaptive to the new technology. That's my observation. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. I suppose let's let's not get into the why of that now, more so the why of why should these companies who are maybe a bit slower adopters, why, why should they be investigating or looking to learn these new technologies like machine learning? It's like kids these days, right? If you see kids these days, are really, it's, it comes very easy for them to, ad, to adapt to it. Think about how they navigate through the apps and phones, even like a one-year kid, right? And people a little older, probably in 20s and 30s, we do okay. But even if there's a new app comes, we are not really interested to go in there, right? Like, okay, we are okay with whatever we have, Facebook, Twitter. I think what people are in the 60s and 70s, much more reluctant to adapt to the new technology. I think it, it, it applies the same thing with the companies as well and the company culture. No, I completely get what you're saying, Ashok. If you think about it, you know, a lot of companies, particularly in these very changing times, they want to get some sort of certainty, don't they? And that's why we look ahead, we try and forecast. And and uh, I think the expression is look round corners, right? And and one of the reasons why I really liked your article, again, which I'll put links in the show notes, is you, you start with really data is the basis for all of this. And you also delve into the granularity of the data as well, which I thought really helpful. I don't find for finance professionals, people really helped us define how granular we need to go. So where would where would someone looking to start with machine learning and data, uh, you know, begin from? Uh, so the data is really important in machine learning, right? Since the data from our ERPs these days in big companies is actually very structured and clean. So we don't have to really worry about cleaning up the data, but there are a few things that we need to think through. What granularity of data is needed? Um, in ERPs, we have transactional data. What it means is that we have millions and millions of records and then you have balances there, probably in, in a million or mil, two million, right, in, in, in a system. And then you also have consolidated balances from your EPM systems. So you can start with the consolidated balances and then forecast it and then go granular. That way your experiments will be easy and you will also get an output for you to have it as a baseline. And then what should be the optimal forecast horizon is we need at least four seasons. What it means is that we need to take at least four years of data. That is 48 months of data. That's a good enough to start with. And then you can slowly add a few more years. But adding more years, I think the businesses, how we operate changes every four or five years. It won't make sense more and more years. Starting with four is, is a good enough. Andrew, is that what you saw in your businesses as well? Yeah, even on a deeper level, you could see uh, different trends in in quarters, like uh, you know, in human behavior in terms of how it's influencing the results. You know, again, a lot of positives of finance embrace machine learning. I think I think the future is bright in that one. It is, and and particularly forecast horizon, right? I mean, if we are talking about FP and A forecasting process, we start with one month predicting the next month revenues and expenses, right? That's the easy way to go, and also probably. Once you're confident, you can predict a quarter. But don't suggest going for the 
learn because your error increases if you want to predict six months from now or one year. Yeah, it's it's like it's like you can sort of see an expanding uh, range as it's the further you go. But I'm, I'm demonstrating my hands here on the video, <laughs> like quite wide for our audience. <laughs> That's right. And and the next question is how accurate the results can be. Yeah. So this is a tricky question, right? So I think using machine learning for forecasting, it's not an accuracy problem, right? I mean, accuracy, yes, you can forecasting in general is accuracy problem. I mean, it's a guesswork. Right, you're forecasting something. It's not going to be hundred percent accurate. Whatever method you use, whether you use manual process, whether you use bottoms up, uh, top down, or whether you use machine learning for it. it, there is going to be an error. I think that we need to understand before even going into this route, right? But the biggest benefit is actually about automating the process. So let's say if you want to get your forecasting numbers without doing anything, like let's say you wake up in the morning one day. Uh, in, in your forecast week and you should have that numbers ready for you rather than you having like 150 people working for you to just to get to that number. So that automation actually adds a lot of benefit yeah. to the process rather than the accuracy. But yes, accuracy is really needed. You don't want your numbers to just go beyond 20% or something. That's an interesting question, Ashok. Actually, how do you look at accuracy? Do you look at percentage accuracy or percentage inaccuracy when, when it comes to tested the quality of these models? I think if we do the actuals versus forecast, that accuracy is the usually, that is the percentage that usually FP&A teams use to find their forecast error. But in terms of machine learning, I think we have a bunch of parameters that we can, we can think about to check our uh, forecasting. Yeah, the reason why I asked is um, sometimes I find that when we focus on inaccuracy, it, it, seeds, it leads to the wrong behaviors, whereas we focus on accuracy. So what I'm saying is if you go plus or minus 1% or something in accuracy rate, that, that's like a negative type way of looking at it, whereas the positive way is, well, actually, we managed to get it 99 or 98% right, which is a good starting point, you know? And I, I was just sort of like flipping it around because I found a lot of people calling out inaccuracies. Uh, and I was guilty of it myself in the early days. And I sort of say, well, actually, hang on, let's turn it around and actually... You know, because when you look at it 1% or 2%, you get so focused on that 1% or 2% inaccuracy rather than on the fact that you're mostly accurate already. Um, right. You know, and you, you might then avoid investing too many extra cycles in that extra 0.1 when you're when you still already at 99, you know. So is 99% accurate any much better than 99.1%? Uh, and that's where I sort of turned it around. I think anything above, let's say even 95, I think it goes into the overfitting the data. <laughs> Maybe your numbers are not really that accurate. I'm thinking anything more 95% accuracy is good yeah. for fine because there's always swing on both sides and your bottom bottom line will be the same, right? It's much closer to your actual numbers, uh, but it sometimes it, it can go beyond. So the, the question is not about getting to the 100% accuracy. It's, it's getting to a place where you want it to be, where if you're comfortable with 95%, I think that's a really good to be um, and work towards it, right? Work towards automating the whole process. That's great advice. I, mean, I know loads of finance teams out there have invested cycles on that extra bit of accuracy when really their management to be happy with 95%. So <laughs> it's a really great point. Right. I also would like to know from your audience if anyone is trying their experiments or if they want to implement it, I want to know from them how their accuracies are right now with their current process. And when they implement it, whether statistical forecasting or machine learning, 
how their accuracy is improved or, or reduced, right? And what's their sweet spot? Let's, um, let's you know what? That's a great suggestion, Ashok. How about the proceeding the this uh, sorry proceeding this this episode going out? How about we set up a poll as well on our LinkedIn page and ask the audience. And if our audience even want to feedback directly, uh, where's the best place to connect with you at? Uh, LinkedIn is a good place. You can find me there, um, Ashok Mantana. And also a little bit idea about how machine learning works. My suggestions don't go into the mathematics of it, at least in the initial stages. Think about, just get an idea how machine learning can automate in your day job, how it can change your processes. Let's say if it is a time series forecasting, the name itself says, right? You have data, which is time series, and then you will be able to forecast it. I know there are like 100 ways how you can forecast it. But once you get into, okay, what is a model? What What is parameters? What is parameter tuning? And how who came up with these models? Things like that, right? It becomes too much for a human brain to understand within a short time. So start with that process of learning what is what is machine learning, how it works at a very, very high level, how it can impact finance at a very high level, and then slowly get into it. So you mentioned maybe like a time series uh, forecast in there, Ashok. Are there any sort of other easy areas to begin with that aren't too taxing for us to, to start with machine learning? I think there are various things in machine learning, right? Machine vision, um, there, there is recommendations. So I think for finance professional, time series forecasting is very important. And maybe that is what all they need at this point of time, right? To start with, that's a good place to start with, understand the statistical, the, the statistics of finance as well. One of my early explorations into uh, machine learning was uh, something called Big ML, where you'd upload a, a workbook and it crunch it and give you a load of decision trees and give you an output and expected value at the end. And, it, you know, I have to say, I didn't really understand the math. You just uploaded it and it turned out a number. And uh, what we used to do with that was I used to put that number about mid-quarter into an envelope and give it to the uh, the sales director and say, look, okay, open that at the end of the quarter and see if that's any way closer than your, your sales ops forecast. And uh, so essentially what I was doing was putting in sales probability distributions for a sales funnel pipeline to, to, to get to the bookings number. And lo and behold, this, this uh, machine learning tool over about four quarters was uh, accurate within plus or minus 2% over that period. And sometimes it was like within 0.1%. Um, wow. But, you know, point, you know, so within, within two, whereas the operational forecast was plus or minus 8%. Because I felt that the human beings were sort of hedging each other's forecast. So as ops were consolidating the forecast, you'd have the individuals given to their manager, the individuals would hedge, the manager would hedge, and then the sales director would hedge. So it all this human interference in the numbers where the machine learning cut right through. So there's massive advantages in us looking at machine learning uh, for forecasting. Um, I suppose in terms of uh, one example I really liked the way you sort of took it was was the chart of accounts, actually. Was, you know, we have all these chart of accounts. Do we really need to be forecasting every single one of those? So even in traditional forecasting, um, in the current process, I don't think we use all the chart of accounts in terms of forecasting. Usually it's at an account level and also probably there is another chart of account, probably another division or department um, that finance FP and team uh, considers in their forecast. I think it becomes too complex if you consider all the chart of accounts and it's not needed. Actuals, yes, you need it because you're now recording all your transactions. But forecasting, it is much more at a finance level, right? At, at much more aggregated level. 
I don't think even legal entity forecasting is much used. I'm sure I, I want to listen if someone wants to do a legal entity forecasting as well. I think two dimensions is what I'm thinking is good enough for a forecasting process. But for sure, based on the company, based on company's need, they can actually add more dimensions. Uh, and what sort of um, machine learning models could we be using, uh, Ashok? There are a bunch of them. The, the one to start is actually a simple regression. It's a simple straight line regression. Right? It's, it's a predictive model. Um, it actually explores the linear relations between the output and time. Um, it's a good model. It's a good uh, place to start with when you start with any statistical or machine learning. And then there are a bunch of complex models as, as well, like Serimac, IBGM, RNN. So these are the models that you can explore a little later once you have uh, an understanding of how things work. But all these models, think about it. You don't have to build the models. Models are already there. They are in Python libraries, or if you want to use it on your AWS or Google Cloud, they're already built in there, which you can use. If you're thinking of using machine learning in finance, it's not about building models. It's about selecting the right model that applies to your data and then fine tune it so that it gives you better output. So I think this is the concept where it scares people when they think about models, right? That they have to build it. But I think most of them know, but it's, it's again, I want to underline the fact that you don't have to build models. Models are already there. It's all about you taking the data, training the model and getting the output. Yeah, actually, you know, that, that's quite, it's quite funny. I just uh, smiling to myself there because I know of a lot of finance professionals who who like to feel that they have to build something from scratch, you know, uh, that the blank spreadsheet and starting a model from scratch rather than just taking something that works and, and seeing if it can apply to the data and delivers consistent results. And I suppose that's a really important point you were sort of um, alluding to, Ashok, is the, the you, know, you need to pick a model that works with the data, that what, what you have. So, so there's probably some sort of, I don't know, is the right expression back testing or sense checking the data. So if we applied it three months ago, what results would we have gotten? How do they compare to actuals? I suppose that's a bit of homework we really need to do as well. So even in our initial machine learning, right, it's, it's more about you sending the data, training the model and getting the output, right? Now, what data you send it to it, what granularity you send to it. Now, this is the experimentation that you have to decide, right? It's one machine learning part. So think about the machine learning part as more, lot of experience, and then you figure out what works, what doesn't, and then selecting that part. So if you're thinking about granularity, I mean, even initially, if you take a lot of data, it takes a lot of your processing power, which incurs your you know, cloud costs or your, <laughs> takes more time. Um, and then you might think, okay, maybe this is not needed. You reduce your data, right? Again, the same thing with the granularity of data, and how your accuracy is based on it. You can go at high level data and see what the accuracy is, and then slowly go into the granularity of it. So that might help you to come up with a sweet spot. Yeah, it's it's a great expression, sweet spot, isn't it? It's like, um, there's, there's real low sort of textbook on this. It's like you maybe start big, wide, a small set, couple dimensions, see see how they go. Okay, so you can go, go, go deeper, go deeper. Until you hit a sweet spot, that's a good balance between processing power and the accuracy of the result, right? Because you don't want to take a run a model that's going to take the whole month to run, right? And Andrew, I think you are maybe you are also wondering about because you have gone through this machine learning process almost seven, eight years ago, have you mentioned? But have you been wondering why machine learning was not adapted as much in finance world? 
That's a good question, you know. I've all, you know what I put that down to Ashok. I I just think um, there's there's so much going on. I think a lot of our other finance professionals and accountants. I think we just had our heads down, trying to deal with so much change going on. Has been bombarded by a lot. For some of us, there might be a bit of fear that it could replace what we're doing, and and we're very much wrapped in our roles. But I suppose historically, accounting and finance professionals we've been slow to evolve. Uh, we tend to be laggards. Um, if you if you look, I mean, you know, we started accounting for stuff on clay tablets uh, about four thousand years ago in Babylon, and we didn't really move on from that until we had, you know, some you know some ledger system, uh, paper based system, you know, thirty five hundred years later, and then it took another four or five hundred years to start inputting onto spreadsheets and computers. So we're not the fastest at uh, adapting. But I think to your earlier point, the younger generations coming in tend to get this stuff. And really, it's it's actually providing information on helping people know where to look at. And, you know, it's a bit of probably reverse mentoring as well, where I think we could probably do better. Look, Ashok, you know, you've been an outside-in perspective, you know, from your financial systems uh, viewpoint. You know, what what's perhaps holding us back from maybe being more embracing in your mind? Well, I'm feeling, I think it's the right tools, right? I mean... There is machine learning. Uh, there are models uh, that you can build. If you really want to build it in a company, the accounting, the finance team needs to hire probably a machine learning engineer and then a few data scientists to work on the data and then someone like an SRE to manage the systems and then software engineers to manage it. So it, it is more like the early accounting software days where mm-hmm. I think every company built their own accounting software, right? But over the years, then it got standardized. It got into QuickBooks or Oracle ERPs, ERPs. I don't think any company right now is building their own accounting software, right? They're just buying it and they use that software in their company. I think that needs to happen in machine learning as well in terms of standardizing and easy to use tools that and finance users can use it. I know we, we spoke about a few examples of few tools that yeah. we can terms of model selection, but still those model selections, again, they have to run a lot of experimentations to get there. But I think a right tool, which knows which models work for usually for finance data, and then very good user interface, which makes it easy. It's like an Excel, right? If, if it is easy, I'm sure finance users and accounting. That That's it, isn't it? If we can get it as easy as Excel. <laughs> then... right. It should be. The, the, the happy days. Well, I love, I love actually, I, th- I think your explanation's very close to probably what really happened, Ashok, is even I suppose into the, um, into the last decade, I think there's lots of companies that may have bought accounting software and customized it heavily. There wasn't really a standard package. And I, you're right, we're probably there with machine learning. But that earlier phase where we have to probably resource up teams to help us uh, through a lot of it, there's got to be some resources out there already that are evolving that might allow us to do like machine learning light, I suppose. Any any sort of uh, favorite resources or areas where our audience can start investigating what might work for them if they were to try it out? I haven't found any very finance-specific machine learning tool. There are tools in the market which can select the right model if you give the data. But again, cleaning up the data, uh, building that pipeline to these tools, it's, it's again your responsibility to get yes. it, right? It's not like let's say if I give an example of an ERP, ERP comes with a pretty standard process. Of course, probably 20, 30% of customization that you can based on your business process, but maybe 70% is already standardized in there, right? Mm. Bring it, of course, you'll bring some consultants to implement it for you. 
because you don't want to get into the implementation part. But then once you have it there, I think business users uh, in, in the company, they, they know how to do it. They become experts in using it. And I think they, they become really good at it, right? To match the functionality of ERP to the, to the company's needs. That needs to happen in machine learning. And I don't, I haven't seen any product that is very customized for, for specific use cases of finance. For example, if you're talking about FP&A um, and forecasting is one of their biggest process, right? We haven't seen, I haven't seen any, any process, any tool that is customized for FP&A process, which yeah. takes, uh, um, and I know we have tools like we have planning tools, we have like SPS and our plan PCMC, PBCS, but again, they have automated a lot of business process, but I don't think still they have combined the machine learning part into the planning. Yeah, so at the moment, because of that, it's probably quite a good comparative advantage for businesses to explore, right? Um, because not a lot of companies have embraced it yet, uh, by the sounds of it, particularly in finance teams. So if finance teams want a comparative advantage, this could be one area to look at, uh, is the machine learning. I suppose in terms of uh, early successes you've had with it, Ashok, you know, maybe what's been your, your favorite application of machine learning in your experience so far that you particularly enjoyed? The everyday things, right? I mean, the face detections and um, and your Alexa, your Google Home, right? All these are really good examples of how AI machine learning can can change our daily lives. But when I started doing some experiments on finance data, um, I mean, finance data is available everywhere, right? You can take finance data from Yahoo Finance. It is at a high level, but still for your experimentation, it's good enough. And then once you start running your models on the data, you see a lot of seasonality. Right? There are trends and seasonality in the data. I think that makes finance data a good good candidate for machine learning. I don't think any other, other operations will get that chance because what my observation in systems, financial systems, is that finance data is very structured. It's because if we think about actuals and in our ERP, data is very standardized in chart of accounts and data is very clean. And, and That's a good point audited multiple times, right? Mm. So it's very clean data that you get in ERPs. So that makes it easier for, for machine learning to be implemented. So you don't have to clean much of the data. You take the data, probably you can directly feed into your models. Um, so th that makes it a good example. And again, the data has a lot of seasonality trends. If you think about an expense in a company, I'm sure, uh, I think you have seen it as well, right? There are underlying lot of seasonality in it, uh, even though, for a human brain, it might be a little difficult to understand those, but a machine can easily detect those trends, the long-term trends, the short-term trends, and all that. Yeah, no, really great point. And I think that should be really encouraging. You know, finance is ripe for this. We, we've probably not explored it fully yet, machine learning. But, you know, we've it's an asset to have very structured data that over the the decades we've been managed to, to get more clean, more accurate, and that should be easier to ingest. So... No, I think that's really great advice, Ashok. I suppose, you know, you've been giving us great advice. I mean, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received in your career? I mean, I, I got a great advice on how to work in teams, right? So, so most of the times we have to balance between how to get work done and how the other person, how you want the other person to perceive you, right? So one of my manager actually told me, you should be at a stage where people are willing to actually go extra mile for you. And that's your responsibility to build that relation. 
I think it changed my perspective, um, how to work with others, right? I mean, you can't force people to do it, but there is, a, there is also other way, right? How you can get things done. So to explore that. And uh, the other quote I recently read is, we always judge ourselves by intent and we judge others by their action, mm. right? Powerful. And if we actually reverse it, things, I mean, the whole perspective changes. I mean, you judge yourself by action and you judge others by intent. This is something that, uh, that is actually, I thought is great advice. That I Wouldn't the world, in fact, even wouldn't our organizations internally with all our silos be much better places if everyone just adopted that mentality? Yes, it should be, right? <laughs> uh, but breaking silos, I think is a bigger question in our organization, right? Silos is not just about people's behavior. It's also a question about technology that we adapt to. I think technology makes it easy to break those silos and bring that information to everyone. Um, of course, again, giving information to everyone might not be useful, but it should be uh, intent to go in that direction of breaking the silos and making information useful for everyone, available for everyone. But I think that but it comes back to your, your quote you mentioned, your point, Ashok, it comes back to intent. If the intent is clear and people are looking at people's intent, and using that to infer actions, as opposed to the other way around, then I think those those things are much easier and if people are working together, embracing tools together, it, it can only be good for organizations and society at large. So really, really great point. Ashok, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing such great insights. Would you have any other parting thoughts for our audience, perhaps? Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for giving me this uh, opportunity. I would like to know any feedback, comments from your audience as well. I'm uh, Just send me uh, a LinkedIn message or uh, comment on the Andrew's post. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.